0: Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. We are in Matthew chapter 15. I am excited about tonight's study. I believe um, that God has given me something to share with you that is of great value, and I'm looking forward to giving it to you. So if you're in Matthew chapter 15... We will begin. If one of you guys back there could just hit go on that count-up clock, everyone here would appreciate it. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Don't they watch CNN? Don't they watch... Fox News, they log on to Brebart News. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. But you say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It's a gift by whatsoever you might be profited by me. In other words, rather than taking care of your elderly parents in their old age and using your resources to give back to them as they have to you in obedience to God's word, they had made a loophole in their tradition that if they just say, that, that money or those resources are a gift to God, they're dedicated to God, then they don't have to take care of their parents, they can just let somebody else do that, and they're free and clear from obeying the command. But Jesus says that they honor not their father and their mother, that he is free. Thus, Jesus says, and listen here, he says, you have made the commandment of God, the word of God, of no effect by your tradition. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying this people draws near unto me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Everything sounds good, everything looks good, but on the inside, Jesus says in verse nine, in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines or teaching as truths the commandments of men. And then he called the multitude and said unto them, hear and understand, not that which goes into the mouth defiles a man, eating with unclean hands or even eating food that hasn't been prepared perhaps perfectly, but that which comes out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Now, he's not talking about Corona He's talking about complaining. You understand? He's not talking about COVID. He's talking about a critical spirit, not salmonella coming out. Do you understand? Then it says that he came to his, or then came his disciples and they said unto him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted shall be rooted up. Leave them alone. Don't waste your time worrying about them. Don't blog about it. Don't post about it. Don't argue with them. Leave them alone for they're blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, then both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said to him, declare unto us this parable. Jesus, just we get it, but just maybe explain it a little bit more to us. And Jesus said, Are you also yet without understanding? Do not you understand yet that whatsoever enters in at the mouth goes into the belly and is cast out in the drought? You get the idea. Vivid illustration. (laughs) But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications thefts false witness blasphemies these are the things which defile a man but to eat with unclean hands does not defile a man my wife and i we have been raising kids now for over 18 years and i know that that makes us amateur compared to some of you that have uh, much more experience and have been doing it a lot longer But I've been raising kids long enough that we have had a very dramatic shift in our um, parenting philosophy. And I think this is common, that we all go through this, is that when we first started out, you know, we had really no clue what we were doing. You know, we were barely old enough to drink alcohol and God gave us lives to take care of, you know, the whole thing. But we we really thought that we were going into it and we kind of had this attitude that it was sort of about us. And we kind of had this feeling like we were just getting dogs or pets. You know, like we're like, let's have a couple bambinos and see how it goes. You know, I want to raise up a couple of kiddos. And, you know, we, you kind of have this picture in your mind like, yeah, I'm going to train them up. I'm going to raise them up. And it's really kind of more about you. You're thinking like, this is what I'm going to do. But then you raise them for a little while and you realize it's a little bit more involved than just letting them out a couple times a day and filling their bowl with food. And and, and and it's a little bit more all-consuming. They take over your life, you know. And there's a shift that happens over time is that it's, it, it stops being about you. And as you realize the value of what is in your presence, it's really, it becomes all about them like you just want them to flourish you want them to do well you would lay down your life for them whereas you thought at one point that this they're going to make me look good someday you don't even care about that you are completely consumed with their well-being that's what you want for your kids now because we want our kids to flourish and to be blessed and be happy as parents we institute rules and boundaries and restrictions and instructions and lectures and teaching times and sometimes admonishment and punishment we do this not because we want them to glorify us by being well behaved but we do it because we know that it's critical for them to flourish and to abound and to do well to be wise and aware and high-potential people and able to enjoy their freedom and so we put these restrictions and these rules in place, not for the sake of the rules, but for the sake of what it will produce in them over time as they grow and are trained up. Okay? Now, because of that, we reward good behavior because we want to encourage it, and we admonish bad behavior. Now, there's a hazard in this whole process. And that is that in time, or over the time, or over the process of the thing, you can kind of get lost, and in the process of trying to make them flourish, the rules can become more important than the reason for the rules. And so the behavior that they exhibit, which, which really the rules are intended to be a guide to get them to flourishing, the rules become the goalpost. If you keep the rules, that's a win. If you're behaving, that's a win. And the result of that can sometimes be that there is good behavior, but they haven't quite developed into good people. They learn how to be on time for work, but they don't learn how to be kind and respectful. They know what's appropriate and what they're supposed to do but they don't have the character that you were intending to build up inside of them why because it stopped being about the reason and it became more about the rules now shift it to god the bible says that he's our father he calls us his offspring when god first called abraham who really is the father of the jewish nation but really the father of all of those that are of faith, including my, my, uh, us, okay? God came to Abraham and he said to him that my purpose in your life is that I want to bless you and I want to expand you and enrich you and satisfy you and I want my blessing to spread out from you. I want you to flourish. I want you to know what life was intended to be lived like. That's my will. That's what I want for you. And that was the promise that God gave to Abraham. In relationship with me, you're going to grow into a place where you're blessed and flourishing and other people are benefited by being in your presence. That's what I want for your life. Now, that promise is what drove Abraham and his descendants. They were God chasers because they believed in this blessing that God was going to bring into him. Now, there was no law. There was no Ten Commandments, there was no Torah, there was no 614 things that they had to adhere to if they want. There was just a relationship. That's all that they had with God. And that relationship informed their actions. Now, when the nation expanded and a few families became millions of people, God created a constitution using the medium of the man named Moses. And God created a law. There were rules, there were boundaries, there were restrictions. And the reason for those things was because God said, this is how you're going to find the kind of character and the kind of life that's going to bring you into the fullness of what I have made you for. Now, the intention behind the law, the rules and the boundaries and all of that, was, was not that those would be the goalposts. You exist to obey these rules, but rather these rules exist to bring you to the place where you're flourishing and abounding. And I want you to hear this. God did not have kids. He didn't make us and call us and save us and die for us so that we could keep his rules. And he could say, look at how obedient they are. They're always on time. They always do exactly what's right. That wasn't God's intention. That was the means whereby God would teach us how life works and how then we would then flourish. Now, in the process of generations, generations of Abraham's descendants, all the way into the present, what happens in the process is that the reason for the rules was lost and the rules were elevated above the reason. And thus, in God's mind, he wanted to create character, but in their minds, they thought God wants to create obedience. And that's a major shift, though it seems subtle, and here's why. Because when your mentality is that God just wants obedience, that's all God wants, then you're constantly trying to measure up to a level of obedience where God will someday just drop a blessing on you. He'll he'll, he'll say, okay, you've reached the level, you're there, you're good enough, now I can pour out my blessing on you. And that's that's how most people really operate. They think, well, there's a future version of me that God is going to someday pour out his spirit upon and bless me in some way. It doesn't work like that. See... I walk with him, my relationship with him informs my behavior, I grow intimate with him, and his character is cultivated in me. And as I begin to flourish from the inside out, his blessing is in there. It's not coming from the outside once I reach a certain level, but I'm enjoying the life, I'm experiencing his blessing because I'm walking with him, and thus the blessing is growing up with me, it's coming out from within that's why jesus said if any man thirst let him come to me and drink and out of his belly the deepest place will flow torrents of living water it's not something that's upon once i reach the level it's something that's within as i walk with him it's totally different pathways okay now rules without reason equal actions without awareness they equal practice without principles It equals citizens without substance. And so rules without reason become the seedbed for what the Bible calls in our chapter tradition. Tradition is rhythm without reason. Tradition is the transmission of customs from generation to generation that may or may not still be attached to the reason why they're done in the first place. And so Jesus is operating in his ministry he's demonstrating what life is supposed to be lived like and as his reputation reaches the southern portion of the land the scribes and the pharisees which were the moral enforcement officers they hear about jesus up in the north and they hear that he's doing amazing things but he's not walking according to the tradition of the elders and so they build a caravan of high powered people and they make their way 70 miles up from Judea up into the Galilee and they confront Jesus in the moment and they ask him this question point blank and they say, why is it that you transgress? That's a powerful word because it means rebellion. Why is it that you transgress the traditions of the elders? Why is it that you're doing this? Not obeying the things that we say. Now, for them okay the tradition was the ceremonial washing and 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 it wasn't actually commanded that they would ever wash their hands before they eat there was a command that Aaron who was the high priest and the priest that served with him would wash their hands before they would serve people (laughs) and that makes sense doesn't it We aren't stupid. You know, if we're going to serve somebody, we wash our hands before we do that because we don't want to pass something on to them. But it wasn't something that was generally commanded that you've got to wash your hands before you eat. That was traditional. But the reason for the tradition is because you can't see what's going on inside of somebody. And so the best you can do is measure what's on the inside based on what they're doing on the outside. And so the tradition became that if you at least wash your hands then we can, by our best observation, assume that you're clean on the inside. If you'll clean the outside, then you'll clean the inside. That was a tradition, that if you wash your hands, then you must have a pure heart. It was assumed. Now, before you say, wow, how stupid, (laughs) that's crazy that they did that. We are not strangers to rhythms without reason. We are not above having traditional beliefs that don't make any sense. We say, if you make it to church on Sunday, well, then that must mean that you're living for God the rest of the week. If you wear a wedding band on your ring finger, then that must mean that you're a devoted spouse, that you're a one woman or a one man person. You're wearing a wedding ring. If you say, I love you, before hanging up the phone, then that must mean that everything is just right in the marriage. It's just, we just know it. We assume that if you can make it through four years of college, then you must be more competent than someone who didn't. We assume, I assume, that if I say, be careful, to my 18-year-old daughter before she goes rock climbing, that somehow she's going to sit there on the side of a cliff and say, you know what, I want to try to launch over and grab that, but my dad said, be careful... So I'm going to play it safe and just go down and try to go up another different way. But I said, be careful. So it's going to work. <laughs> She's going to do it because I said it. I, I, I'm probably not the only parent that says, be careful. And then thinks like, why did I even bother saying that? That it sounds so stupid. Listen, we are all susceptible to tradition. And tradition is not necessarily bad. Tradition is not condemned. The problem that they had that Jesus fires back at them for and listen carefully, is that they traded truth for tradition. They traded truth for tradition. Now listen to this. Jesus had such an impact in his ministry... The deaf were hearing, the blind were seeing, the dead were being raised to life again. He was walking on water. He was feeding multitudes. There were miracles happening. There were lepers being cleansed. There was so much healing and so much energy and so much learning and so much hope that was going forward that the reputation of Jesus made it 70 miles down into the south, into the ears of all these Pharisees. that's powerful. Jesus is truth. That's why he came, okay? Now, these guys were willing to throw all of that away because Jesus didn't wash his hand before he ate. So they're sitting here watching. They're saying, yeah, sick, dead, lepers, water, bread. Did he he seriously just put that in his mouth? What a demon. What a demon. Devil, this guy, he didn't wash his hands before. And they were ready to throw out everything that Jesus was doing because he didn't keep the tradition. They threw out the truth with the, or for the sake of the tradition. Now, Jesus calls them out, and I love the boldness of Jesus. He goes lying on them. He doesn't miss a beat here. And he looks at them when they say, Why do you transgress the tradition of the elders? With you by not washing hands. he looks at them and he says, "Why do you transgress the word of God through your tradition?" He's, he fires right back at them and then he gives them this example of the honoring of the parents he says, "You guys have replaced something that looks good and sounds good with what God says actually is good and that actually means something and here's the indictment that Jesus gives here's the problem with Tradition replacing truth. He says it in verse six. He says that you have made the word of God. You have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. You have made the word of God without effect because of your tradition. Now I want you to hear the power and the meaning and the warning behind that verse is that it is possible to make the powerful truth of God's word without effect by replacing it with traditions. And you and I, we do this all the time. There are things in my life, there are ways of thinking, ways of living that have been handed down to me, some of them genetic, some of them from my parents and where I grew up, some of them because of church cultures that I've been around and and spiritual environments that I have been in. And there's things that have become a part of my life or a part of my belief system. And I'm slow sometimes to question, where did this come from? Is this thing really from God? Because sometimes we're living out scripts that we don't know who the author is. Like, for example, why do I think that it needs to be done this way? Why is it that I think that because change has to happen on a level that's deeper than what I can affect or touch, that therefore it can't happen? Why do I believe that God isn't listening to my prayer or that he won't hear my prayer or answer my prayer or that I have to ask someone else to pray for me because I don't have the confidence that God is going to hear when I pray myself? Why is it that I assume that this is all I can be or as far as I can go? Why have I told myself the story that everyone in my family is a certain way or is this way, and so that's how I'm going to be, and there's nothing that I can do about it? Why do I assume that? Why do I believe that up to this point it hasn't changed, and so therefore it probably never will? And this is where we live according to tradition rather than according to truth. And I don't want in my life truth to flow from tradition i want life to flow from what is true and the scary truth behind what jesus is saying here is that my faulty belief is stripping the word of god of its power now that's powerful to think of because hebrews 4:12 it says that the word of god is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword the word has power in it Isaiah 55, you guys know the verses, that as the rain comes from heaven and the snow and it waters the earth, that it might bring forth seed to the sower and bread to the eater, God says, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me void. It will accomplish the thing which I please and whereunto I sent it. And we say, yes, Lord, amen. What Jesus is saying here is that when we, in the belief system of our heart, replace faith in the truth of what God says with something else, we make the word of God without effect. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. It's Hebrews chapter 4, or is it chapter 3? There it is, 4, 2. It says, For unto us, Paul says, was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Meaning that the power of God's word can be restricted by the level of faith I add to when I hear it. Jesus said, You have made the word of God of no effect, By your tradition, the things that you have chosen to believe. Now I ask you the question, is your life right now growing more out of tradition or more out of truth? And here's why. Because truth is effective, but tradition is vain. Notice what Jesus says will be the result of a life that's lived based on traditional values rather than the truth of God's word. He says it in verse eight and nine he says that these people draw near to me with their mouth they honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me watch it verse nine he says but in vain they do worship me teaching for doctrines or teaching as truths the commandments of men god says this that if your life is being lived according to tradition rather than truth then you're going to worship god but that worship is going to be vain the word vain means empty meaning it's going to be without effect meaning you're going to have a walk with god but it's going to be all on the surface and it's going to look like something but there's going to be no reality going on on the inside and you might appear as though everything is right outwardly but the inward part is greatly lacking There's no substance of God. You have the words right, the creed right, the tradition is good, the liturgy is good, the checklists are checked off, but there's nothing in the heart. There's no flourishing, there's no joy, there's no growth, there's no hope, there's no health, there's no creativity, there's no vision, there's no sense of purpose, there's no gratitude. The fragrance of your own life never surprises you in a moment like the wild rose does in the beginning of June. And you just say, God, you've been so good to me because that's not going on. You're bound up in behaviors. You're keeping the rules, but you're not enjoying your life and you're not enjoying God. Jesus says it's in vain. It's profiting you nothing. When I first came to Christ, I was 19 years old and it was about a week before I returned for my third semester. I did three semesters. So my third out of three semesters at the college I was going to at the time and there was uh, almost no Christian presence there at all. The only Christians on my campus at that time, there was a cult called the International Church of Christ. It's not the Max Lucado brand. It's not the legit brand. It was like it's gone. It's been disbanded. They were found out. It was a huge scheme. It was a big big cult you know they were the only ones i'm a brand new christian i had a hunger for god so i started doing bible studies with these people and they have nine bible studies that they take you through and if you answer all the questions right then you can be baptized if you get some wrong you got to go back and revisit those studies they're just very good at bringing you right where they want you to believe right what they want you to believe I did about four of these Bible studies and God, through his providence, put people in my path. He brought them into my path to warn me and to give me things to look for to help me understand what it was that I was involved in. And God, not man, God brought me out of that situation halfway through it. And taught me a valuable lesson that I thought that I learned. And I really did. I thought I learned this lesson. Wow, not everyone who says Jesus really has it together. I need to watch out for this. You know? And I thought, wow, I, thank you, God, for teaching me this lesson so early. So I finish that semester and I go back home and I'm hungry, thirsty for God. And so I am taking in everything I can. Whatever Christian radio station I can find, I'm soaking it in. I remember driving down the highway, and I was listening to a book being read on family radio. The book was by J.C. Ryle. Turns out he's a Catholic bishop. I was in tears. I was so blessed by the things that were being spoken about God, the, the, the way that he was magnified and glorified in his ways and his person. It was resonating with my spirit, and I was uplifted. I, I, was, I couldn't hold back the joy of just being able to know God, and here I'm being read a book by a Catholic bishop. I didn't know the difference between Joyce Meyer and Janis Joplin, and, I, and I, could, I could listen to both and get something from God from it. I watched the movie Pinocchio and was in tears God, I was the wooden boy, and I went to Pleasure Island, but you saved me, and you am a born again. God would speak. It was so alive. But then something happened. I started going to this church, and the church was a good church, and it was a Bible-teaching church, but there were some traditions in the church. There were some things. And, and when I began to share about some of the things that were going on in my life, I said, hey, have you ever heard of J.C. Ryle? And all of a sudden, Who? Yeah, J.C. Ryle, you know, this book is called Holiness. It's something like that. And they're like, J.C. Ryle, do you know where he's from? No? I mean, yeah? No? Yes? Yes, of course. We don't do J.C. Ryle. <laughs> That's going to lead you astray. Oh, okay, J.C. Ryle's bad, not listening to J.C. Ryle. I was listening to this teaching on the radio the other day. It was by this guy. What? You listen to that guy? That guy's so full of himself. That guy thinks he's the cat's meow. He's got, you listen. Oh, can't listen to that guy. And, and little by little, very subtly, over time, I became enclosed in this little traditional box of these people are safe, these people are not. These people are right, these people are wrong. These people are saved. These people maybe have a question mark. I'm not so sure. And I'm not going to blame anybody else but myself. Because I know I still could have got something from J.C. Rowell. It wasn't that I wasn't willing to listen to him. I didn't want the kickback from the people that might find out about it. And so I found four or five teachers that were deemed safe, that I deemed safe, and I would receive and listen to everything that they said, and everything else was on the outside. But sometimes my spiritual roots needed something that stretched beyond the small boundaries of what they maybe believed or taught. And because I wasn't willing to even trust something that might be on the outside of that, I would just cut off that root rather than venture out. And you know what the result was? Spiritual gout. I became less. I became unhealthy. I stopped flourishing. I became hollow in my Christian experience. I was putting the traditions of men above the truths of God for whatever reason that it was and it was a detriment to my christian development and my spiritual walk my my relationship became in vain okay now tradition will give you security but tradition will not give you traction you get stuck in tradition notice what jesus says next if you look back at the text again it says that the disciples came to him in verse 12 And they said to him, they said, Jesus, you know, that last tweet, that last post that you made where you said that it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles, but that which comes out, we read the comment section underneath it. And do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard what you said there? And Jesus said this, he said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted shall be rooted up. He says, leave them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, watch this, here's going to be the result. Then both will fall into a ditch. Do you know what a ditch is? A ditch is a rut. Do you know what a rut is? A rut is a place you get stuck. Now, Jesus did not say that they will fall into destruction, He did not say that they will fall into hellfire. He said they're going to fall into a place where they get stuck. And that's exactly what they were they were stuck. They were, they were using God as an excuse for their dysfunctional behavior, and then they were using their dysfunctional behavior as an excuse to resist the truth of God. That's circular reasoning, isn't it? Sounds like a rut, doesn't it? Oh yeah, well we don't have to obey that command because we're doing something that looks equally better. And then when truth comes, and truth says, but this is the way you're supposed to be doing it, they say, yeah, but we're doing something else, and so God accepts us just the same. They were dysfunctional, and they were blaming God for it. And then they were using that dysfunction as an excuse when truth came to try to set them free. They were going around in this circle of just traditional stagnancy. They were going nowhere in their walk at all. That's what happens when you're in a rut, okay? Now, Jesus goes on to explain how this all works as Peter asks the question, declare to us this parable and what it means. And so Jesus gives this final thing. He says, listen he goes, understand that what goes into the mouth and goes into the belly, it comes out of the body. But the things which come out of the mouth, watch this, he says that they come forth out of the heart and they are what defile the man. Now listen to Jesus, because here's what he's saying. He's saying that what is in your heart, that is the byproduct of what you believe, okay? The heart is the belief center of man. Romans chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, or Paul said this, he said that with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. In other words, faith happens in the heart. Information is gathered in the mind. It goes in. Then it is digested. It goes into the heart where beliefs are then formed. I formulate my beliefs based upon the information that is entered into my head. And then the beliefs that are in my heart generate the behaviors that come out in my life. And so Jesus is saying here is, listen, you in your heart have a whole substance of belief systems and those belief systems are going to produce something. And Jesus says, if what comes out of your life is evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness and blasphemies, then those things are coming from a faulty belief system. You are believing traditions and not truth. You are living according to what's been handed to you one way or another and not according to what God has said. Now, evil thoughts. What's an evil thought? An evil thought could be, I am nothing. I have no hope. There is no reason for me to continue living. I'm a waste of human life. This is a waste of time. Those are evil thoughts. Where do they come from? you got to stop and consider the source. Where does that come from? Because God doesn't say that I'm a waste. God doesn't say that I'm without value. God says that I'm made in his image. God says that I'm so valuable that I was worth the price he would pay in his blood to redeem me. So if I'm believing that I'm nothing and I'm worthless, that I have traded the truth of God for something I was handed somewhere else. There's fault in my belief system. It didn't come from God. If there's murder in my heart. Now, Jesus already taught that murder, the root of murder is envy and anger. So you can have murder in your heart without actually having killed someone if you envy them or are angry at them. Well, where does that come from? Where did that envy and anger come from? It came from believing that what God has for someone else is better than what he has for me. And in some way, I've been treated unfairly in this. Now, I need to weigh that against god's truth what does god say god says that he knows me to the hairs of my head and his thoughts towards me are more in number than the sand and that he's going to lead me in a perfect way and that he has something for my life and so for me to be jealous of what he's doing in someone else's life or to think that their lot is better than my lot there's a fault in my belief system i'm choosing to believe something that's in there that god didn't put there rather than what god says about me and I need to hold on in faith He says adulteries are fornication, lusting after another person. That comes from believing in my heart that pleasure is the purpose for life. That the momentary experience of being with another person sexually is what connecting with another human being is all about. That's what I'm believing if that's what's coming out of my heart. But what does God say is the purpose of connection and what the purpose of life is. I've traded, if I'm an adulterer, I've traded the truth of God for the tradition of what I've maybe thought myself or what's been handed to me from somewhere else. A theft. If I steal something from someone, it's because I'm believing that God doesn't see my need, he doesn't hear my prayer, and he doesn't care about what I want. And so I need to take it from you because I can't get it from God. I'm believing that in my heart. Where did that belief come from? What does God say? He says, ask. God said to David, if you would ask of me, I would give you such and such things. He says, I will withhold no good thing from those that love me. God is bountiful and he wants to give and he gives us the things that we need. So if I take something that isn't mine and I'm thieving, then I'm believing in my heart that God's not going to provide for me. Where did that belief come from? An unchallenged belief system is a dangerous thing. He says, lying or false witness If I'm a liar, then what I believe in my heart, Jesus is saying, is that God isn't competent or willing to orchestrate the events of my life, and so therefore I need to manipulate them myself. I need to use false truths, and I need to tell people what they need to hear in order to get what I want, because I can't trust God to do it. He doesn't. Where did that belief come from? Because the Bible says that he leads us like a shepherd, The Bible says that he knows that he can orchestrate. He makes a pathway in the wilderness and the water streams in the desert. He does all those things. I don't need to do it myself. He says blasphemies. you know what a blasphemy is? A blasphemy is to trust in a false idol. It's to put another God before the living God. And if I'm trusting in something other than God for a need that I have, then that means that I'm believing somewhere inside that I can't trust God, that I've got to look at something else. He's not trustworthy. And so, Jesus is saying that the heart is the belief factory of the life. And if things that are evil are coming out of my life, then there's something faulty in my belief system, which means that I'm trapped in tradition. It's probably genetic. Maybe it's by experience prior to knowing him, or observation, or cynicism, or something else. But I'm trapped. And I ask you tonight, where is your truth coming from? Is the truth that you're, don't you think it's funny you hear like some, like Dr. Phil's that say, live your truth. You know, that that might be good advice depending on what your truth is. But where's your truth coming from? Is your truth flowing from tradition? What is it that you're believing? If you have an unchallenged belief system, it won't belong before you're stuck in a rut. Before you're spinning your wheels, there's no traction at all in your life. Now, if you have ever been stuck in a rut before in your car, and I have, or in an ATV or in something, and you are stuck, what is the worst thing that you can keep doing? Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, this will work eventually. Honey, I know how to do this. I know how cars work. Just relax, you know. And you hear all the, the, the stones, like, kicking up. And you get out, and the wheel is just just below halfway down in this thing. And it's, you are not getting out. You're st- what do you do when you're stuck in a rut? The first thing you do is you stop, okay? You stop. Stop spinning your wheels. Stop doing what you're doing. If you right now are in a place in your life where you're in a rut, I'm trying to move forward in the things of God and I'm getting nowhere. Nothing is happening. I'm not enjoying God. I'm not knowing God. I'm not flourishing in God. I'm stuck. I'm doing everything right and I'm frustrated because it's not working out for me. Stop doing what you're doing. Next thing you do is you get out of the vehicle and you look at it, you stare at the rut. You figure it out. You just look at what happened. You say, that's the high ground. That's the low ground. I backed in too far there. That's why I went. You stop. And then what you do, listen, is that you have to figure out a way to put something solid underneath where your wheel is spinning. There has to be something solid. You say, well, what's the solid ground that I'm going to stand upon in order to get out of the rut that I'm in? It's Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. Listen, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You see that word substance right there? Faith is the substance. If you're in a rut, you have a belief problem. And so you need to look at the beliefs. Why am I thinking this way? And then you need to do some work and say, I am believing wrong in this area of my life. And then you need to trade what you have been believing for what God says is truth. I have to replace tradition with truth. And when I do that, then rhythm without reason starts to die. Now, that can be scary because tradition's secure, isn't it? Tradition feels safe. But you have to trade security if you want traction. Otherwise, you're trapped. See, you can, you can lose 27 pounds. And yet you can still hate yourself once you get the body that you wanted because you thought that that was the key, that you would start to like yourself when you looked a certain way. But, if, but if, if, if you're doing that same action because you want to feel better, because you want to be in control of yourself and you want to experience what it means to have that part of your life under control so that you can have energy and move forward, that's a totally different thing. If you go and you get a college degree so that you don't feel like an idiot, if that's your reason, then guess what's going to happen once you get a college degree? you're still going to feel like an idiot because when you arrive in the future, you're going to find that it feels a whole lot like the present. But if the reason that you want that is not because you feel like an idiot, but rather because you want to move forward in the things that God has for your life because you believe that he has a purpose and a plan and he's leading you to gain some instruction, that's a totally different thing. You can, you can learn the entire Bible. You can go to church every single week. You can obey every single thing that God commands and that God says. But if you won't believe that God is for you, that God loves you, that there isn't a future version of you that he's waiting for you to become so that he can, if you don't stop believing wrong then all the tradition, all of the tithing, all of the services, nothing is going to profit you. Somewhere the belief system has to change. Jesus said that you will know the truth if you continue in my word and that the truth will make you free. And then a few chapters later, the same book as the Gospel of John, he said, herein is my Father glorified. He said that you bear much fruit. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to abound. He wants us to enjoy Him. He wants us to enjoy His life that He gives. Would you stand with me? I'm just going to ask you to just lift your hands. And We're going to just pray right now. Father, we come to you tonight, and in Jesus' name, Lord, we want to lay open our hearts before you right now. And to some degree or another, Lord, every single one of us that's in here right now has been living according to some faulty belief system in our heart. And it's caused us to lose traction, to lose time, to put forth effort, but to not experience joy. And before you tonight, Lord Jesus, you said that it's possible to make the word of God of no effect through our tradition. And so we open up our hearts to you right now. And I pray in Jesus' name for every one of us here. That you would give to us, Lord, the ability to see clearly what's going on inside of us. That you would help us to look with fresh eyes upon our life. Our prayer habits, or lack thereof. The way we treat other people. Our attitude towards life. The things that cause us to fear. Or the things that trigger us in other ways. I pray, Lord Jesus, right now that you would teach us what it means to know the power of the Word of God driving our faith system. So would you hear us now, Lord? Would you help us now? For it's you that we look to. It's your help that we seek. And tonight, Lord, we just want to profess faith to you, that we believe that you're for us and not against us, that we believe that you have a future and a hope and a path and a plan. That you'll perfect the things that concern us. That you're going to finish the work that you started. And that you're with us always, even to the end of the age. And right now, Father, I just want to pray this blessing over this congregation. As you told us, Lord, that this was your will, that this was your heart. You said the Lord bless you. And the Lord keep you. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace and may your favor be upon us and upon our families and our children to a thousand generations and may your presence go before us and behind us and beside us and around us and within us and be with us that we might know your presence in our life especially in these times and these days. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.